1: Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips
0: and advice, whether you're just getting started or looking to grow. That's (laughs) keepdreamingup.net.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research.
0: And I'm Kristen Soltis Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. This week's top lines, has Trump created a turnaround or not so much? And is this race still a race to the bottom or is the name of the game I need to have better favorables at all costs. Uh, We'll also take a look at whether the deck is getting reshuffled on red and blue states, with formerly purple states beginning to break hard for Clinton, Are there some former deep blue states like Pennsylvania coming back on the table? We'll take a look at a lot of the new polling on the issue of gun control and terrorism that's come out since last week. And then we'll look at the Brexit blues. What's going to happen with the polls in the U.K.? And last but not least, we'll end on a fun note talking about which corporate jingles people like best.
1: So first, our poll of the week. So this past weekend was Father's Day and I was on vacation. Mucking up the audio on our last show. We had to ditch our great interview that we had with Kieran Pedley because the audio was a little inconsistent and I was having a hard time relaxing because I was with my wonderful small children. So in honors of Father's Day that's now in the rearview mirror, there's a couple polls that are interesting. Turns out I am not alone in feeling the the struggles of parents. It turns out it's a very American phenomenon. There's a new poll in the American Journal of Sociology. Uh, conducted by a longhorn like myself, Jennifer Glass at the University of Texas, showing that parents are especially miserable. So this was the Parental happiness gap. So the gap between parents and non-parents, and how happy you are. And in some st- countries, people, parents were actually more happy than non-parents. But Americans were the least happy relative to non-parents. And in fact, um, they looked at the impact of policies like paid sick leave and vacation day, vacation time, and subsidized childcare, uh, and what they have on closing that gap. And they said all that stuff had hundred percent impact. It explains. Almost all of the parental happiness gap that that was part of the reason that parents have it tough in the states because we don't have a lot of that support in terms of um in terms of laws. so it turns out i'm not alone. this is a very common phenomenon there's research to pack it up so
0: as I noticed that the story was on our on our script for today, uh, I was telling Margie that when I went on my honeymoon in France, it was kind of my first time spending. Any sizable amount of time in a European country on vacation. Uh, and, you know, my husband and I, we would go out to like sit out at a cafe in the middle of the day and get, you know, a nice lunch. And we'd look over and the table next to us would be like two adults, you know, maybe five or 10 years older than us, um, just sitting, having a glass of wine in the middle of the day. And they'd have a kid with them. But the kid was just like sitting silently. Like, I think in the. How old? Ex-
1: How old was the kid? Like, four
0: maybe? Like just impossible. And there was like a tree stump next to the table. Well, I like have a vivid memory of this kid just like sitting on the Not tree stump. Not with
1: like an iPhone or an iPad like watching some horrible thing. Just, just I, I don't quietly. even think the kid ha-
0: yeah, just chilling <laughs> on the tree stump. And it was like, it reminded me of when people go to brunch here in D.C. and they'll like bring their dogs and their dogs are just like kind of chilling next to the brunch table, you know. Maybe they got a treat, maybe they got a bowl of water or whatever, but like these parents were just Like, the kid was not going to distract from their enjoyment of the beautiful day and the wine sitting on the coast in the south of France. Yes. Kid was not going to get in the way of that. Yes. And the kid was, and I was like, this in America looks like. Child neglect, like this would, this is not, not acceptable in America. Maybe these French are onto something. I don't, but like I don't have kids, so I don't know how to judge yeah, these things properly. It
1: depends. <laughs> it depends on the kid and depends on the situation and depends on the Asia kids, because obviously, like little kids, you got to really like you got to watch them because they could just you know,
0: yeah, this kid was not and, like running around, you know, endangering right. himself. No, that's good. The was... French
1: figured it out, bringing up Bebe. That's a whole <laughs> book is about that where they, they, and you, there was a quote that I remember from that book where someone's like, in America, the kids are like kings. They just sit at the head of the table and like the king, what is, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> <laughs> but another, in a more light note of parenthood, there was um, uh, Ace Metrics, and we've talked about Ace Metrics ratings mm-hmm. of ads before. They rated a lot of political ads, so they uh, identified the most popular Father's Day ad, and it's in that genre of ads, like you've seen a lot of Dove commercials like this, or the PSA where they had those two women sportscasters reading mean tweets, you know, or the people, other people reading mean tweets. So it's like that cinema verite, sort of like. Or I, I guess I shouldn't say sit about a verite, but just like kind of this exposed studio, kind of like where we are now. Like someone just sitting in front of a like a white screen and like just being themselves, right? This very authentic, kind of raw. Uh, commercial, And so they had dads from all over the world and asked them, what's your, uh, does your son ever talk to you? Does he ask you a lot of questions? And they're like, no, he really doesn't. I- I'd like him to. And all these other, all these various languages. And so then they showed all the their sons trying to learn from their com- computer, from the internet, how to shave or tie a tie or make an egg or dance or ask a girl out. And they're all like failing miserably. And then their dad walks in and they're like, hi, what are you trying to do? And the kid's like, I'm trying to make an egg but the eggs burnt and the dad would show them how to tie a tie or how to dance or ask a girl out and it was very sweet and then they asked the kid like who did a better job your dad or it. yeah. <laughs> they're like, I guess my dad. Aww. and it was for Gil- it was for Gillette. So if Gillette can't like nail a Father's Day ad, though, that you know that seems like that's their you know put all their eggs in the basket of Father's Day. But anyway, it was very good. So that was a nice that's parenting. Sweet. Yeah, that was a good parenting, good parenting win for for the world. <laughs> so anyway, on that note, I'm not a not a win for the world. <laughs> What's going on in the 2016 presidential race? Well,
0: a lot. It's been an interesting couple of days. Um, I mean, speaking of parenting, so on the Republican side, uh, Donald Trump has parted ways with controversial campaign manager Corey Lewandowski. The scuttlebutt is that this is a product of a clash between Mr. Lewandowski and Trump's children. Who, Again, I will say for all of Donald Trump's flaws, his kids have turned out pretty darn great. True. Uh, And so
1: one of them like. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. So, well,
0: right, there's one that he never talks about. There, he there's he like, never talks about Tiffany. Yes. And, and one Marlo of Marlo them, Memphis. like,
1: tried to, like, get an engagement ring in exchange for proposing, like, in a mall or something. Anyway, I'm sorry if I have the details wrong.
0: Yeah, but that's still not, like, Paris Hilton-sponsored nightclub parties. And in- I mean, like, again.
1: None of these things are as bad as being Donald Trump, I guess we could say. That.
0: <laughs> so that's the standard. Okay. <laughs> that's
1: the standard. Well,
0: right now, uh, it's it's not great to be Donald Trump in this election, but it's maybe not as bad as it was a week ago Uh, you know a a couple of days ago when I looked at the polling averages you know Trump was trailing by like six percent on average Um, and the latest uh, you know chart from Huffington Post pollster the model is showing Trump trailing by about three and a half points on average he has had a very slight uptick in the model again this you know could just be a little wobble who knows um, but certainly he's had an an interesting week. Um, you know, we know there were the events of last week, Tr- Trump versus Clinton's responses to Orlando and quite a number of polls coming out saying that most people disliked Trump's reaction um, to that tragedy. Uh, and you've also had, you know, the the sort of continuing uh, saga of what's going on with his campaign and all of that. Um, but nonetheless, you know, it seems like he's still trailing Clinton, but not as badly as he was a week ago. But there are also some polls that have come out now. We have some swing state polls from uh, Quinnipiac. And unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to look at the crosstabs that I know we have we have hot crosstabs sitting in our inbox. Like I know. We, we like they arrived right as we came in to tape.
1: Well, we'll put them out on. We'll put them out on Twitter. Yeah,
0: we'll uh, we'll we'll tweet out the best findings from there. Um, but there you had Florida, Ohio, and Pennsylvania again when we did our interview with Doug Schwartz. You know, he mentioned they do these buckets of states. They do these waves together, and so Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania is is one wave. And there you have Clinton just annihilating Trump by yeah. like eight points. Yeah. in Florida, that's huge. Um, And so you see a number like that, and you're like, well, if you can't win Florida, I mean, clearly Trump is never going to be able to win, right? But then you look at Ohio and Pennsylvania, and there they have Ohio tied 40-40. So you have 20 percent of people who chose none of the above or someone else. I mean, that's a lot of people to have not made a choice. Um, And then Pennsylvania, Clinton 42, Trump 41. That's basically tied, too. That's basically tied. And Pennsylvania is the one that is always – I have heard it referred to as it's Lucy holding the football, right, that like every presidential election toward the end, somebody will say we're putting money into Pennsylvania because gosh darn it, we think we can win it. And it's like just this – it's this foolish, useless, pointless crusade for Republicans to ever put your – because they, they always say, oh, we're totally going to try to contest Pennsylvania and then they lose Pennsylvania by like 15. Po- I mean it's, I'm exaggerating a little but – so if – He's really only down one in Pennsylvania. They don't
1: even need to replace him with the Philly fanatic.
0: I know. Right. We were just (laughs) talking about that last last show. So that's that's kind of crazy. And that, to me, you know, we can look at these national ballot tests and ah, Trump is down three and a half or whatever. But ultimately, a presidential race is about these states. We know that Florida is going to be tough for Trump. We know that. Uh, Colorado is going to be tough for Trump. Nevada, you're not going to see Nevada flipping. You know, any of these states that have big Latino populations, these are places where it seems highly unlikely we're going to see Trump flip in a state purple to red. Right. But if all of a sudden you've got somewhere like Ohio that really is in play and then you've got a Pennsylvania or a Michigan or something crazy like that where Democrats are on defense in a state that has been blue, blue, blue for the last couple of elections – That seems kind of crazy, right? And and I know it's really early. I'm I am not going on record saying, oh, gosh, I think Trump's going to win Pennsylvania. But it kind of scrambles what we think of as a swing state if these numbers are legit.
1: Right. And this is part of the. Purple Bloomberg Rust Belt, quote unquote Rust Belt poll. I know folks objected to that phraseology on Twitter, but that was what it was called, the Rust Belt poll and it included Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania. I think I can't remember if New York was in there, Wisconsin. And so it was a, a part of the theory being that this, there may be a new map that states that were a little blue may now be more purple and other states like Colorado and, you know, maybe even Arizona for that matter or Florida are, uh, may now go more blue than than they've been in the past. So we'll see how that all evolves. I mean, uh only Flor, you know, Florida and Ohio moved in the, from the last Quinnipiac poll to be more for Clinton in this more in this Quinnipiac poll than they were on the last one. Even if Ohio is tied now, it was it was leaning toward Trump last time around. Pennsylvania was tied in in both the current and recent Quinnipiac poll, but there's obviously going to be a lot more to come. I mean, you know, the other piece of this, and we can talk about this in the context of favorability, is the spending that's going to go on in these states. Like, I mean,
0: Oh well, you could turn I'm around. am laughing because I'm like, ooh, spending all 1.3 million dollars cash on hand. I mean, I, so, Margie, he can't even buy a house. Like, a, he can't even buy like a two bedroom house in the District of Columbia with the amount of cash that he has on hand. This is insane.
1: No, it's it's his a- full
0: campaign finance report was. Just insane. cuckoo bird banana crackers. It was not.
1: I mean, this is what happens when you don't have a professionalized operation. You know, you can't tweet your way through your FEC report. You know, like it just doesn't work that way. And the fact that he had 1.3 million, just to give you some context of what that means, that's like a, a good, you know, but not blowing the doors off congressional campaign budget. And if you had that congressional campaign budget in a lot of, you know, in, there are some markets where maybe that could get you far, but in quite a few markets, that can't really buy you a whole lot of television at all. Maybe it buys you a week, you know, Um, maybe not. It just depends. And we're on cable, not on broadcast. You have to make tough choices. You can't really communicate everything you want to say. Uh, it just depends. There are some congressional districts where you have a couple different markets that you want to reach, you know, three or four different markets, and they have to be bought separately that's in a congressional district again not a presidential race around the whole country we're trying to scramble the map or whatever it is we we were just talking about and um you would say if in a 1.3 million dollar budget you would say look m- maybe you don't need to do the second or third poll you should just put all that into like another three pieces of mail <laughs> you should put all that into Another couple of days of television and just keep, you know, just go for it. Yep. Don't worry about me. You just, you know, you just like communicate to as many people in this last week as you can. That's what you do in a $1.3 million campaign for Congress. Um And he has $1.3 million for the whole country. I mean, it is really, it, it is, I mean, lots of people thought he was going to flame out in some way, but. It, it, the The way he's flamed out so quickly, I mean he hasn't flamed out, obviously, but the how spectacular the fall has been this week in the last couple of weeks is really incredible. I mean, it really it was almost as if it would happen the 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 moment he you know had the stage as a general election candidate, it just like it just completely fell off the rails
0: yeah i the the thing about the the report also is that so much of the campaign's money went. Well, first of all, technically the campaign is like $50 million in debt, but it's in debt to Donald Trump, who at the moment has loaned his campaign this money. So if you're a donor and you give money to Donald Trump's campaign, you might quite literally just be putting that money directly into Donald Trump's pocket for him to like pay himself back this loan. So the whole thing was crazy. And then so you had this story and the Lewandowski story, but then today you had Donald Trump give a speech. And I think this speech... And and Hillary Clinton gave a speech in response, I think, sets up nicely the next polling element of this story, which is the favorables. Um, So, you know, we had a poll, I think, a week or two ago where it showed and this is the number that I hear cited commonly, which is Donald Trump's unfavorables are 70 percent and Hillary Clinton's unfavorables are 55 percent. The 70 percent number for Trump, it seems like it might have been a little bit of an outlier. Like if you look at the Huffington Post pollster tracker. The trend is that his unfavorables are 59.6%. That's nothing great, but you can see the little dot, you know, of the 70%. And the reason why that matters is, yes, Hillary Clinton's unfavorables are not as bad, but the average has her at 54.5%. So that's really, I mean, that's a difference of not a five points in unfavorability, which again is not. That's that's not a ton. That's not that's not as much as we we might we might think. Again, because there was that one, I think CBS poll that had that, or maybe it was the ABC Washington Post poll that just had that big seventy percent unfavorable number. I mean, they're both viewed unfavorably. But what Donald Trump is clearly trying to do, and it, in the speech he gave today, like he's trying this. The way I was describing it is it's see like I am rubber, you are glue. Everything you say bounces off me and sticks to you you know non-schoolyard nonsense because that that's the trump doctrine it's well it, i mean in his speech for instance and again i'm i'm not trying to punditize on this race but look at one point he said that hillary clinton is has a volcanic temperament and is impulsive and i was like okay i'm a republican not a huge fan of hillary clinton when i think of the first 100 negative words that come up in my mind about hillary clinton Volcanic and impulsive are not those two words. (laughs) In fact, when you ask me who comes to mind when you say volcanic and impulsive, Hmm. hmm, hmm, I wonder who comes to mind. So his strategy is so clearly at this point to take anything that people would throw at him that would make them think, oh, I'm unfavorable to Donald Trump. And he's basically just trying to say, well, her, too. Well, her, too. Well, she's just as bad. Yeah. And I mean, it might be working. It might work with numbers that look like this, with him only being viewed unfavorably by five more points compared to her. That's. This this craziness could work
1: now, yeah. not with
0: one point three million dollars cash. No. On hand. And this was my whole column in the Examiner today was about. Yeah, he was able to tweet his way to the nomination, but he got about two billion dollars in free earned media. Right. But now he's going up against the Democrats who are really good at ground game and really good at turning out voters and really good at having a field operation and targeting voters. And like that stuff, you can't you can't get that for free. There's no earned voter data. You have to buy it. You have to pay for people to collect it. He didn't have the money to do that. So and can he but
1: what he could do potentially for free, I suppose, is to become less unpopular I mean that he could do I guess would he get as much what I mean he's not capable I don't think he's capable of doing that but that you know could I mean and then the argument might be if he's tweeting out flowers and sunshine does he get as much coverage for it but anyway those are things we'll never know because he won't do that but Steve Shepard who was a guest on the show wrote something in Politico and this was up there it was the most one of the most popular things we posted this week on Facebook, along with parents in the United States are miserable. That was even more popular. but this was also popular. and uh, he wrote Trump's unpopularity is without historical peer in the modern era of presidential campaigns. Mitt Romney averaged a 46 percent unfavorable rating in mid-June. John McCain's favorable unfavorable rating was only 40 percent. And more voters had a positive opinion of McCain than negative. Anyway, it goes through a variety of examples. The last candidate to have a majority unfavorable rating in June of an election year is George H.W. Bush. Um, But Clinton's was also high, his unfavorable rating. So Steve makes the case that. This is pretty, his numbers are really quite bad. And maybe there isn't that big of a difference, but maybe that difference is important. That difference is significant. Or maybe if you look at the favorable tracking, which Huffington Post has, you do see, even though it's now a while ago, but Clinton having more popularity sort of recently, while Trump's is more stable in its unpopularity. But
0: yeah, I mean the uh, the time frame on the chart. So the time frame here for the Donald scales Trump scale's a little different. Yeah, the scale's a little different. But I mean, here Donald Trump has been consistently viewed unfavorably for the last year, and Hillary Clinton. I mean her her brand has not been great over the last year, but it started in a better place. Right. Which, but that cuts both ways. Then is Donald Trump like? Everybody knows how they feel about Donald Trump. It's not moving. It hasn't moved. It has looked exactly the same. Now, as it did a year ago, so he's not going to move his favorables one way or the other, no matter how much stuff Hillary Clinton throws at him, no matter how many sunshine and bunnies he tweets, which he's not going to. (laughs) But for Hillary Clinton, are these numbers more malleable? And is that does that in some way make Donald Trump's I'm just going to throw everything at Hillary Clinton and say she's corrupt and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's kind of the best strategy he has. Right. As depressing as that sounds. Because, I mean, it, again, it, Mitt Romney, like, we, again, we think back four years ago and everybody was like, oh, this Romney versus Obama election, uh people are choosing between the lesser of two evils. But, like, no, no, that's not what really how voters felt, not right. compared to this election. Right. Yeah.
1: No, I don't know. I mean, maybe Trump is liberated by secretly not wanting it quite so badly. I don't know that I can't. I can't. I mean,
0: those FEC reports sure don't look like the FEC reports of somebody who wants to be president. But then his speech today was like he, he spoke off a teleprompter. I'm not suggesting that this is like the new and improved Trump, but it was like he's clearly was trying to calm down the Reince Priebus's of the world who might be like, oh my gosh.
1: I know, right? What is going
0: on?
1: I know. It's really, it's bonkers. Which which
0: leads to this next story that we have here in our script, which is that Republicans have spent zero dollars on ads in battleground states. So with, back in 2012, the the strategy sort of after the fact, you know, they do all of these postmortems and the campaign managers talk about their strategies. The clear strategy that Democrats deployed was we're going to run a bunch of ads about Mitt Romney and how as he was with, at Bain and fired people and all this stuff. And that like, didn't
1: matter, according to John Sides.
0: According to John sides, Well, it's not that it didn't matter. It's that both sides wound up just canceling each other yeah, out ultimately. It, in the it was
1: already a little bit formed. It was already it just kind of, kind of reinforced it. Yeah. Formed it a little bit more. But
0: this time around, I think it may even be in the Republican autopsy thing. Growth and Opportunity Report. Apologies. Not the autopsy. I've got to get on message with my language. (laughs) Um, that, That they said, look... We got so outspent early last time, so we need to not let that happen. We need to be up on the air early so that we can define ourselves. That's
1: like point number 85 of things that are not being followed this year,
0: by the way. It's like
1: that is so not like the top tier. Do you know, I have another question. Are there <laughs> candidates of either party who's ha- who are like gaff prone Looney Tunes and their and they're handlers don't want them ever going anywhere or speaking to anybody who this week they're like... This is your week. You can go, go, go talk to somebody. You will not make news like, like you would have to like just like climb up to the top of the Empire State's Building like King Kong in order to make news this week. So go, be free, and speak to the Do, local that, chamber. Get, <laughs> get it out it. of your system.
0: Yeah. Get it out of your system.
1: Don't say we never let you talk to anybody. <laughs> go for it.
0: <laughs> you give it a whirl. You anyway, give it a
1: whirl. free advice. Free advice uh, for so campaign anyhow,
0: handlers. Uh, you know the. If Republicans have spent zero dollars in ads, does this mean that if they decide to raise money and spend it, can they move Hillary Clinton's numbers? They've certainly not done so with money at this point. Her numbers have moved, but it's not like there's some barrage of ads on the air at the moment. So anyway, so other
1: Sad polls, and in, in addition to the 2016, is oh, the latest on guns. We spoke a lot about the Orlando tragedy last week, um, and our own views, and some of the early polling. It was really just UGov at the time, um, and I think there was a poll from Bloomberg and Seltzer that was in the field. Um, so there's a few more things now: uh, UGov and NBC, Survey Monkey, Gallup has done something, um, CNN. Uh, is that it? Yes, I think so. I think so. So that's quite a few outlets that have polled since then. And, you know, I, I don't know if we're really coming to any new conclusion about the climate. I feel like what we see from the polls or what we see in the polls after all of these mass shootings, I mean, obviously, this has been pretty dispiriting for the left to see uh, bills uh, be voted down in the Senate that were, you know, in the scheme of things, uh You know mild reforms, not major sweeping reforms, certainly far from the taking away your guns language that you hear um and you know they're also very popular bills they are bills that have you know eighty five to ninety three percent support if you're talking about um people uh on the no fly list um not being able to get guns or also universal background checks those things are have not changed those things have been true for a really long time um You know, we don't need to ask another poll to show that 90 some odd percent feel that there there should be universal background checks. The no fly piece is a little bit newer. It's not always asked in public polling. CNN found 85 percent support that. So, you know, the question and then, you know, there's also, you know, support for stronger stricter laws you know even that bounces around a little bit it's still you know at, at, at divided at best certainly not matching the the lopsided vote uh that you saw in the senate um and so what i don't know i guess this is a question that's not answered in the public polling is You know, when you look at the senators, the mostly Republican senators who voted against these measures, are they in the seven to 10 percent of Americans who oppose these things Um, or do they have a different calculation They're, You know, they are worried about getting primaried or like these bills are going to fail in the House. So I'm not going to take, you know, take that tough vote. Or are we looking at this wrong in that, you know, 90 percent may support these bills, but the 10 percent is has more political power because they are more likely to be single issue voters Um, I don't know if that's true looking at the polls where you have more D's than R's say it's going to be important to their vote in the YouGov poll. you know, I I don't know, you know, I think, you know, there's a hope that this is going to have more of a there'll be more political consequence for folks this time around. But I don't know if that's true. I mean, what do you think when you take a look at the? Climate? Yeah, I
0: think the big you know, my assumption has always been that when you see something where even if it's like a like a 70 20, 10 division where you have 70 percent of people support a policy, 20 percent oppose it and 10 percent are quite sure. And yet you see a vote happen where a lot of members support the 20 percent position. My assumption and and what you usually see in the data is that it's that 20 percent is really fired up and the other 70 percent. It's like, well, this matters, but it's like issue eight to me. And so is this changing now? Is there now becoming a more consistent, vocal core of people for whom this is their first issue, because that could certainly change things. But and I think the other question is also on the, you know, there are even divisions, I think, on the right over this stuff. So of the four bills that were voted down, um, you had one, which was the bill by Senator Murphy, which I believe was the background check bill. Um, You had, I think, Dianne Feinstein's bill, which was the one that said it was it was a no fly list bill. You had a bill by Senator Cornyn that was a, a terror watch list bill, but it 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 required a judge, and so there were some folks on the left who didn't think it went far enough. So that one got voted down, not with a majority of Republicans, but with a majority. You know, it, so like this stuff all gets when you start getting into, you know, Republicans putting forward bills, but then it wasn't even clear if the Cornyn bill would make it through the House, even if it passed. So you wind up even with on the right. Divisions over this stuff. And then today there is supposed to be a bill coming out with uh, Kelly Ayotte and Susan Collins, you know, two Republican women. We're going to put forward something. I'm not quite sure what happened with that as of recording time. But I think there are some Republicans, particularly like I think Mark Kirk was one of the Republicans who voted on the other side of these issues. Right. So there are some that are in, you know, blue states or who are who feel the pressure from the other side. Right.
1: And he's got to. I mean, Illinois is a blue state. And I mean, that's to be in line with your vote voters. Mark Kirk's got to do that. He rescinded his uh, endorsement of Trump. He's, you know, voting for these measures. I mean, that's where his status.
0: Yeah. And and I think. for others i mean if you're looking at this from a purely political perspective you're not you know let's let's take off the table if you actually you know care one way on the issue or you have concerns or what your thought is about the second amendment if you're looking at this as a pure political calculation i think the other question is how long how stable is public opinion on this stuff? Like, how much, how long does it stay at the forefront? So, if you look at the CNN poll, um, you know they consistently ask, "Do you f- this? Do you favor or oppose stricter gun control laws?" And I know you've been critical of that language before—that stricter and then gun control. You know that, that there are that that's problematic from a language perspective. But if you look at it, I mean, right after Sandy Hook. Uh, You know, in January 2013, when this question was asked, 55 percent said they favored stricter gun control laws. Forty four percent said they oppose. And I think that's notable because I think the way Gallup asks it, they have this like three pronged approach, stricter, less strict or keep the same. And when you ask it that way. Um, That tends to make it look more like people don't want to see change. But when you just ask the two-pronged approach, it showed in this case, you know, 55 percent favor, 44 percent oppose. But then that sort of slid. And by the time you got to September 2014, the numbers had flipped, 44 percent favoring stricter gun control laws, 55 percent oppose. Those numbers now in the aftermath of the tragedy in Orlando have flipped back again, 55 percent favor, 42 percent oppose. So it's gone from leaning in gun control advocate's favor to then flipping back and then another tragedy happens and it flips back again will this will this stay in place or like right. how much sticking power do today's numbers in today's environment have? And
1: so the two, you know, thoughts about that is first, however you ask these broader climate questions, they're never going to be as strong as the actual measures that we're discussing. Like these things like, you know, one of the least popular ones is an assault weapons ban, right? But that's not even what we're talking about this week. We're talking about the no-fly list. We're talking about universal background checks. I don't really think, I think, people should stipulate those are popular right they're like they're yeah. overwhelmingly popular there's no poll that shows them not popular so that means there are people who support them but who also oppose making gun laws stricter right and for those folks what do they do maybe they just maybe some of them may not know what the current laws are maybe they don't know what's up for debate you know or when they think stricter gun laws they think of something more extreme that they yeah. don't think they're not thinking of that maybe they think um you know this is already what's in what's in uh, on the books or You know, they don't realize that it's inconsistent. Um, So that's that's one piece. Um, The other is when we rely on mass shootings to drive the conversation. Um, And I'm not saying we shouldn't. Um, You know, obviously, the news should shut down when something so tragic happens. But it, it also then. Leads us to really center the conversation around what would prevent a mass shooting, rather than the other kinds of gun deaths and gun injuries that happen. The you know the more the higher likelihood that suicides will be fatal, uh, gun crime and our gun homicides in the streets, all you know accidental gun deaths, uh, frequently of children. Those things don't stop the news for a week, um, even and so they don't affect the kind of polling back and forth that, that we're talking about. But if you, you know, one thing that I thought was pretty interesting, Gallup had a list of, you know, here are some potential actions to prevent incidents like Orlando as very or somewhat effective by political party. So among Republicans, the most. Um, You know, there are quite there are three things that are at the very top of the list that almost all Republicans say this would be effective. One is banning gun sales to people on the no on the no fly list. One is increasing airstrikes against ISIS. And another one is changing state gun laws to allow more people to carry concealed weapons if they pass a background check and complete a training program, which I should add is not the law in every state that you have to do all that. Um, So. You know, that to me suggests that there are Republicans who, you know, favor a variety, you know, like, OK, no to this. Yes to this. Like, you know, uh, uh more, you know, less strict gun laws here, more strict gun laws there. And that kind of nuance that Republican voters have is just not found in the t- political debate. So th- that's another, you know point that's sad to me. And that's something that we can see from the polling, that it's not as simple as like guns. Yes, I'm in favor of more guns. I'm in favor of fewer guns. It's just that's just too blunt of an instrument that does not reflect where voters are. And that's what the two or three pronged question, while useful for tracking, can't help us really get to the nitty gritty here. Um, so anyway, so those are, you know, the last thing I'll note is the sad data point on the you know, are mass shootings a way of life? And this is something where there are no party differences. And that's just makes me sad. It just feels like we've kind of thrown up our hands, you know, both in the policy and the thought about mass shootings that, and it, you know, whether D's or R's are just as likely to say mass shootings are a way of life. That's what uh, the YouGov poll found. Um, CNN asked a comparable question. They don't have a party breakout, but they found, majorities after a variety of mass shootings have said, you know, th- these will just happen again, regardless of what action is taken. And, and I, I just think we can do better. You know, I just think that we can do a little bit better. And these numbers are, these numbers sadden me that that's just ha- like become now a, uh like a, you know, like a form that we do, like a the process that we go through when this happens and, you know, until the next one. So that's what I find sad. When I look about, look at all these numbers.
0: The other angle on the Orlando story that we mentioned a little last week is the issue of, is this going to be viewed as a terrorism issue or is this going to be viewed primarily as a gun issue? And again, in reality, it doesn't have to be just one or the other. Right. Um, but and it you know, can be a
1: hate crime. I mean, that was another question, right? It could be
0: right. All those things. Um, when pressed by Gallup, 48 um, percent of U.S. adults said that they viewed this more as an Islamic terrorism issue. 41 percent said it was more as a domestic gun violence issue. I might quibble with Gallup's wording there about like why the need to include the word domestic. Right. So I I, I might take issue a little with the wording of the poll.
1: Especially since but, he had a domestic violence
0: hint to it. And also right. I exactly. mean that makes it sound like there's no international component and At any rate. Yeah. Um, But but certainly the result of this question breaks out along what you might expect for party lines. So 79 percent of Republicans say this was about Islamic terrorism compared to only 29 percent of Democrats. Meanwhile, only 16 percent of Republicans say this was about domestic gun violence, while 60 percent of Democrats choose that. And independents, as they are wont to be, were pretty split down the middle. Um, And then NBC survey monkey. Uh, They asked a couple of questions sort of around the issue of both terrorism and gun control. Um, And they found that, you know, for Republicans, terrorism is now the number one issue, even outpacing jobs in the economy, which is really astonishing because jobs in the economy has been the number one issue for almost every voter group across the board since the economic collapse in 2007, 2008. So it's. That's that's a pretty remarkable number. Uh, And then they asked, you know, how well is the U.S. government doing in reducing the threat of terrorism? And here back in uh, April of 2015, uh, you had a majority saying that they thought that the government was doing Vary or somewhat well um, in terms of reducing the threat of terrorism, and that balance has shifted pretty pretty significantly. Where you now have, um, I believe, if you add up those two bars, you wind up with a majority saying they think that the government is doing not too well or not well at all in reducing the threat of terrorism. Um, so you've got you've got concerns about terrorism also on the rise in the aftermath of of this event. Again, to what extent that. Is a temporary versus permanent change? Remains to be seen.
1: So I'm sure there'll be more polling next week, so we will revisit this for sure. Um, but next, uh, we think we have a divisive election on our hands. What's going on in the U.K. is really coming down to the wire. Um, Brexit versus remain. Um, the polls have near. I mean, the polls were. You were up for – and we're really bummed that we didn't have Kieran Pe- Pedley from uh, Polling Matters uh, on. But we we'll m- might get him back. Now I'm going to be one of those people that's going to h- root for the polls to be off somehow. So we <laughs> so can get him back. So we can get
0: him back, for, so like, get him back
1: to explain <laughs> why the polls were off. But the polls are like uh, uh, completely narrow. Like they seem now totally even. Yeah.
0: So when we when we were recording the show uh, late last week, uh, it, we were actually recording the show – I think only 30 minutes after the news of the passing of a uh, member of parliament, uh, Joe Cox, who was assassinated by somebody who I think the reports were that he was affiliated with some extreme far right groups, you know, wanting to leave the U- leave the EU and a whole bunch of other stuff. um, And so the question was, you know, again, hate to think about the political calculations of tragedy, but. We focus on the polls here at, at the pollsters. Um, so we wondered, you know, to what extent is this going to shift things? And I believe over the weekend there was a pretty dramatic shift toward remain. Um, and again, for a while, you know, the question again has been, should the UK stay a part of the EU? And if you're somebody who's kind of like risk averse, maybe not interested so much in changing things or, you know, rocking the boat too much, maybe Remain is the sensible vote. So it made sense that when you really pushed independence, a lot of them were saying, yeah, probably if I wound up voting, I'd vote Remain, while Leave voters were like, I want to leave and I'm excited about leaving. And the question is just, you know, do these mushy Remain voters actually show up? Um, But it's, you know, the polls have really, really narrowed to where a couple of months ago, it was clear that Remain had the advantage That that no longer is the case. The polls had closed. Now we've had, again, that that, the the bump toward Remain over the weekend almost seems to have gone away. You have things like Elizabeth Hurley, I believe, tweeted out today that she is in favor of leave. That's Um, a game changer. Game changer. But I think she tweeted a picture where she's, like, not wearing any clothes and she's just, like, holding a pillow that has, like, the Union Jack on it or something. Everyone's got to have their angle, I I guess. Everybody's got to have their thing. Um. But this is going to be interesting because you said there's not going to be exit polls. Is that right? That yeah. There's... So, so I
1: Google right before the show. I'm like, how can I watch Brexit election live? Brexit election returns. And like, Google came back with like nothing, and I'm like, what this? I must be. I must. There must be some like local English word that I'm not using correctly or something. And I found one article that said. That the polls will close 10 o'clock on Thursday and the results will come out 7 a.m. Friday.
0: Can you imagine? Because there are no exit polls. If we, well, first of all, if we had no early exit polls released here in the US, you know, I'd be happy about that. I'd be the only person happy. But can you imagine (laughs) if the presidential election wraps up, polls close, everybody's like, Like, see you tomorrow. All right, we're going to (laughs) count, we're going to, we'll huddle. Have a good night's sleep, everybody. We'll, we'll do this with a big announcement in the morning. Like what? That would be madness. Yeah, that would be insane. That's.
1: I mean, isn't that crazy? I'm gonna reuse
0: Cuckoo Bird Banana Crackers pants again for the second time in this podcast because that's what that would be.
1: And it's just this is going to make it a lot harder for us to get there right when it starts. I
0: might have to wake up like I did this to watch what it the means royal for wedding. Me. Like, crawl out of bed at three <laughs> thirty, find BBC America, right? Like.
1: What's going on? People are going to be like, you know, going to all night places to like watch the returns at the diner on 18th Street or something like that. Oh, yeah. Like they were during the World Cup. Maybe we can get like
0: the the folks that run the Queen Vic on 8th Street to keep it open all night long. No, probably not. I'll just buy myself, I'll pick up like a, a good, you know, a six pack of some kind of good English ale and have a breakfast beer. Watch the returns come in. <laughs> sounds like a strong plan, actually. That sounds, I was kind of joking when I said bad. it. And now I'm like, eh, I don't think I'm joking. Anymore. I think I'm actually going to do that. No, that does sound pretty good.
1: Um, Yeah, but can you imagine? Anyway, so I guess they just want to minimize polling drama. And with the polls this tight, I know it doesn't, I mean, I don't know if it minimizes.
0: Do don't they legally have to stop polling at a certain point? Or is that, I? no, that might have been in Israel's elections. Like they have to stop. I
1: think so. I don't know.
0: Uh, well, maybe that was Israel and not Britain. I am not sure. Oh well, I am sure. Listeners, tweet at us. Correct I me. I think we should stop talking okay. about that because we gonna, don't know.
1: Clearly, we I don't know. But I um. But it, you know, I guess. Look, I mean, the polls could be off if like one side just overwhelmingly dominates, right? And and the interesting thing here, and this was in the Telegraph for a while until I guess just recently. On, was it online polls were completely different than phone polls? And well, phone polls were far more likely to show remain in ahead than online polls. And that was true. That's a pretty major modal effect that then went, like, seemed like it went away in the last couple weeks. Um, so that, you know, it, I guess that'll be part of what they look at if the, all the polls – like, for example, if Remain stay, you know, ends up really doing quite well, then that will mean a vindication for online polls. But we'll just see. I mean, we don't know the answer to that.
0: I'm excited. And now I'm really excited for my breakfast beer. <laughs> all right. So last but not least, our fun poll of the week. We want to talk a little bit about commercial jingles. Uh, And tweet at us if you are uh, listening to the show and have a jingle that you happen to like. Be very fascinated to hear if there's stuff that didn't make this list. Uh, Margie, what are the top commercial jingles according to the Journal of Advertising Research? So,
1: Well, so this was in YouGov. YouGov did a poll, but the Journal of Advertising Research found that a jingle helped people remember the ad. So in case you weren't sure if that's true, it is in fact true. And part of it I've heard, elsewhere. I don't know where I heard this. Um I guess I needed a jingle to remember it. Is that having a sentence, it makes it easier for people to because you don't need to remember the words individually, you remember the whole sentence, like make America great again, for example. You're not like make something great again. What is that thing? Right? You don't need to remember all the words individually. As opposed to, for example, the well-known campaign slogan, America, Jesus, freedom. Do you remember where that's from?
0: Well, I, was, <laughs> I feel like I'm cheating because you have it here in the notes. I know. I wasn't sure <laughs> if
1: you, know, you were going to be like completely shocked, but it's, um, <laughs> the, the campaign, Will Ferrell movie, The Campaign. It was, um, he, where he plays a candidate that is oh, like yeah. vaguely inspired by John Edwards. Anyway, it's really funny. And so that's his that's his slogan. When he
0: runs against Zach Galifianakis, who I forget who he's trying to be in that one. But it, anyhow, yeah, um, it's pretty that's hilarious. But that's
1: again. his slogan, America, freedom, Jesus. And that's an example of what not to do for a slogan, because <laughs> you have to remember those words. Um but the jingles have it have it all, right? so the number one, I guess we should start maybe we should start with number ten, the subway five dollar foot long,
0: yep, that and <laughs> that's like a a modern memorable one
1: cotton, the fabric of our lives. this one's not. I would not have put that the fabric that with the fabric of our lives, that one I don't think that's you know very what good. is it's always
0: funny by the way, that I didn't realize when I was a kid, and now that I work in politics in washington d c like you think about this like the cotton ads, cotton, yeah. the fabric of our lives. That's an ad from the cotton lobby. Yes. Like all right, those all right. got milk ads that, yes. like, when you were a kid and or it was the like. The Incredible oh, Edible Egg. Yeah. Like, that's an ad from the dairy lobby. Yeah. Like, that's lobbyists advertising you kids. Yeah. Sorry to ruin the magic. But, like, it was when I finally got to Washington and I was like, the American You're Dairy. Like, that's Farmers a really excellent
1: integrated branded campaign. Wait a minute. That's. With real shareable like, content. I, like I don't
0: know who I thought was advertising <laughs> milk before, but I'm like, oh no, that's a trade association. That's a lobbying group. Right. Anyhow. So, sorry to ruin no, the Magic no, America.
1: <laughs> Huggies, I'm I'm a big kid now. That's a good one. Yep. Nationwide is on your side though, I guess. I
0: think that I think
1: that one's a good one because I guess it's memorable. Kit Kat, because well, no,
0: a, now they have, but the nationwide ones. Now they've got Peyton Manning doing the like chicken parm. You taste so good. Like they got, they had Peyton Manning singing the jingle, but with a whole bunch of other like <laughs> funny phrases.
1: <laughs> and look, I just I repeated it back here I miss, on the show. I miss, look, I miss free I'm going to remember it now. now. I'm
0: going to remember. Yep. It.
1: Kit Kat, give me a break. Break me off a piece of that Kit mm-hmm. Kat bar. That's an older one. Oscar Mayer. Everyone knows that one.
0: Yeah, I th- I feel like that one's an, an older one, kind of.
1: That's definitely an older one. State Farm, like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. That's a good one. Klondike. Uh, what would you do for a Klondike Bar? Folgers. The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. That is like that seems like from when I was a kid. I guess they still do it. I guess if you have a good jingle, here's how I envision the like internal marketing meetings at all these companies where they're like, we can't lose the jingle. Oh, we've got to lose the jingle. It's 25 years old for crying out loud. <laughs> it's the number three in the YouGov list. <laughs> and then the number one is Band-Aid. I'm stuck on Band-Aid brand because Band-Aid stuck on me.
0: I don't know why that one's number one. I mean, no offense to Band-Aid. Where's the Mentos one? Oh, that was in the
1: list Mentos somewhere.
0: Mentos, yeah, that was. Mm, I mm, those commercials are mm, terrible. Mm. And where's the like? I know, but that, but like that's you can do something with that that's now. True. You can you can be like hipster ironic terrible. What that's about now a
1: thing? Do you remember the like? I can bring them the bacon. Actually, fry it up in the pan. That's probably before your time.
0: I don't know. What it was you're like a
1: 1970s about. like women's perfume ad, and it used like oh. a real song. And I think I don't know if it was a real Wait, song a or not. Women's
0: perfume ad about bacon?
1: Well, she it was like, "Tell it, me more." It was the new, like the new women, like women in the workforce, as uh, like cartoonish uh, character. Is the
0: perfume called Charlie?
1: There's Charlie, but this one was Anjali. Charlie was a different one that was also similar. I got
0: really into like learning about the history of perfume last summer. Like It became my thing. And so, yeah, I remember seeing...
1: Anjali was the other one and Charlie, yes. Those two, those were comparable. And they were both about like... You go, girl, and, you know, you're out in the world, and you got yourself a new scent. Yep. (laughs) That was the basic. But
0: then also, what happens if you're a brand – okay, so, like, let's take State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, but then they've also now tried to do this, like, discount double check thing, you know, where you've got, like, Aaron Rodgers, like – with crazy Green Bay Packer fan. Oh, now I'm getting what? into sportsland. Now you're now. Margie's looking at me like I don't know what you're talking. Can we go back to? I can bring him the bacon. Let's go back to Fried. bring him the bacon. I'm just you know, if you're a brand, how many taglines can you have? How many jingles can you have?
1: I don't know, but there aren't a lot of political jingles. I remember watching an old. Political commercial. I long
0: for someone to have a good jingle. And there was a,
1: there was a, I won't say who the candidate was, but it was, you know, someone you'd probably know. And they had, and they'd been in office long enough that they were around back in the jingle days. And we were like, yes, look at this jingle. This is incredible. And we would always sing it just like for fun around the office. And anyway, I can't think of another good political jingle. I must be missing something. No, I'm going
0: to, this, I, that's recent not bring, like from the 60s no, but, but like no but i want to bring this lifetime. back i want to bring this back well
1: maybe this will be how trump
0: yeah <laughs> if there was ever a candidate to have a great jingle if he can use a jingle you've got hard bet the, it's going to be Donald Trump
1: make of the fact that he's only got 1.4 million dollars anyway <laughs> okay so so oops. what did we learn this i'm way? not sure hold on <laughs> let me go back to my handwriting here <laughs> um happy dad's day and uh Go hug a parent today if you haven't. Um, but if you think parenthood is unpopular, it's got nothing on Donald Trump. Um, gun polling and gun policies continue to flubox me. Um, and our prediction, polling is so tight that probably lots of pollsters in UK can uh, declare a victory. Um, try this at home. Sing a bunch of catchy jingles to your friends <laughs> and see what they
0: think. <laughs> and then when you have no more friends, you can be friends <laughs> with us. And That's you can right. find us at Twitter at at the pollsters or individually at at Margie O'Meiro and at K. Sanderson. We're at www.thepolsters.com where you can find our show notes. Also, visit us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash the pollsters where throughout the week you can see links to stories we think are interesting and want your feedback on. Don't forget to subscribe to us. Make sure you recommend us to your friends and write us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Bye. Thanks.